0: This is the Baymall Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host Brent Billings. Today we are joined by Elle to discuss the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill Podcast. The breakout podcast that everyone's talking about, so we're here to talk about it, but we have good reason. Yeah, yeah, we do have good reason. We're right in the middle. We're, we're in
1: part three of this four-part series on spiritual abuse, and I know that this podcast... I have viewed it as super helpful for just my own growing consciousness, things to consider. Um, I mean, mean, uh, here's the deal. I was raised, I was trained as a white male in ministry training. I was taught how to grow churches, like all the things. And so I don't have the experiences. I have a very normative experience on one side of the power dynamics of the church conversation. So anything that for me opens the door to consider conversations that we uh, intentionally, unintentionally, blatantly, directly, indirectly didn't have, I find to be super uh, helpful. Now, having said that before we even get started, because I know there's all kinds of opinions. There is. There's all kinds of opinions. Like that podcast is everything. And then there are people like, I freaking hate that podcast. And here's all the things that are wrong with it. Like there's the whole gamut of reactions to the rise and fall of Marcel podcast. I think I posted on social media recently. I think it's a super important. It might be. I, I think. I think my post said one of the most important conversations, you know, like right now, that we could be having, considering as a church. Having said that, there's a couple really important things that I have found, and I, Brent's going to put a couple links in the show notes. Um, on on the one hand, there is a whole group of people that's like engaging this podcast almost as a form of entertainment Mm -hmm. um like one one writer called it the post we're going to put in the show notes called it failure porn Mm
0: -hmm. like
1: we're almost being entertained by and there's something like really weird and sick and consumeristic about that that we need to make sure that we have our We need to have our finger on the pulse of that. That has not been my experience. I know it has been for some. I do not sit and wait every week like, oh, I cannot wait for the new episode of the Rise and Fall Mars Hill Podcast. Like it churns, like it turns my gut. Like it – I have physiological reactions to listening to the episodes. Like I don't look forward to listening to the episodes. I find them to be very um, uh, thought-provoking. The other conversation is another link we'll put in the show notes. And it just had some helpful uh, critique by somebody that's kind of pushing their own book and that's cool. Like there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. They were very upfront about that. They weren't trying to hide that. Um, but they offered some other critique. I found that article very helpful as well. So two articles that critique what's going on in the podcast just so we can hold this whole thing in tension because uh, we're not just here to be like, oh, it's, it's everything. This podcast is everything. It's doing it all right. No, there's a whole lot of things we need to be Thinking of and and another voice that I found personally very helpful was the voice of Ellen Grover Fricks, and she we had conversations about the podcast, and I thought, man, that's really the thing she shared. That's really helpful, and I thought about that for the next few days, and i I just want a robust, like well rounded, full conversation about these things that help me think and think well and think critically. So, having said that, L, can you give us some give us the relevant context to why you would be here for this conversation today uh when we're talking about spiritual abuse part 3.
2: Right. Well, I am so happy to be here. Uh I Was an eyewitness to what happened at Mars Hill because I was actually there. I grew up south of Seattle. um, And it was an immensely formational time in my life. that I would go up to the campus where Mark was preaching specifically. Those were like my first dates with my husband before we were actually dating was like sneaking out to go to Mars Hill. Um, it was the first place I really hear, heard the gospel and the idea that, um, You know, Jesus loved me, which is weird because I grew up in the church. But um, so I hope to bring a lot of nuance to the discussion. I can only bring my personal experience. You know, thousands of people went to Marcel and had their own experiences, which are immensely variegated. um, And I can only bring mine. However, I was there. I remember all these different moments that are hidden in the podcast, um, and I'd love to provide that insight. I also bring insight right um, as a woman and the messages that I received um, in that space as a congregant rather than a church leader. Um, and yeah, a, a place where a lot of a lot of abuse happened, but a lot of my friends and family members got saved, uh, repented, were baptized, all of those good things. So, nuance. Um, yeah, that's what I got.
0: So, I think if I was someone who went to Mars Hill, what I would want to ask you is what years you were there and what campus you went to and kind of like use that to help frame the context that you have.
2: (laughs) Um, Those I was there. Okay. I can answer part of that for you. Um, I started attending Mars Hill um, both online and in person, depending on what circumstances were like in 2009. 2009. Um, and I was part of what was going on there through its death <laughs> and after, um, I would like to not get too specific on which locations, you know, I was at because I don't went. um, Yeah, I just don't want too many lines for communities that are still trying to heal and thrive um, to be drawn and to say, "Oh, well, she must be talking about this person or whatever." But um, I certainly did drive up to Ballard, which is where Mark used to preach before he started going to Bellevue, Um, and then I was at locations closer to home.
0: Fair enough. Yeah, and that's good. I don't know any of the dynamics of Mars Hill, so I don't know what it would mean to say you're from a particular campus. That's just how my mind. Um, typically works. Of course. Makes sense. Thank you for sharing what you shared. And I understand why you did not share further. Great.
1: Yeah, it's helpful because we want to like we're not trying to do a journalistic podcast episode here. Um, We're not trying to duplicate that work. We're trying to think and I'm going to work pretty hard here in a moment to kind of detach this from solely the context of Mars Hill and Mark Driscoll. Like the conversation that intrigues me is one that's much bigger that applies in so many different places. So we we're not here to like like that's not the work we're doing we're not and that work maybe is super important and should be done by other people that's not what we're here doing so we'll keep it detached from names and places even even the relevant names we'll, I'll keep trying to pull us back away from that
2: sounds great to me
1: and Elle, I mean you have you're also trained professionally in right when we talk about spiritual abuse uh you you can remind us you have some you have some degrees in this as well
2: yes. I, I do have a degree in psychology and then I spent five years in the mental health field, um, working specifically as a therapist. Um, and so I certainly bring that perspective when we're talking about, um, functions of behavior, especially why people are doing the things that they're doing. Um, yep. Excellent. Thanks for ripping
1: that back in. Yeah, no, it's, I think it's super helpful just to place, uh, the voices where they ought to be in the conversation. So I, what I wanted to do is I just kind of wanted – I, I took a bunch of notes and I ran out of time. So eventually we're just going to go rogue here. I took notes on the first five episodes, um, just kind of helpful conversations. And again, this is not the end-all conversation for me. I think it was helpful. This was a helpful resource for me. It. I'll, re, I'll read the note I wrote here. It was an open door that some of us – I'll put myself. I don't know about Elle. I don't know about Brent. I don't know about anybody somebody like me, I was able to walk through this open door for much needed conversation that probably should have been happening in other places, in other ways, all the things that have been critiqued about the podcast. Sure. But that conversation was not happening in my world. Brent, were you having all these conversations about the dangers of the brand and platforms and the way we abuse leadership and
0: power? are, Are those conversations a part of your Uh, daily activity no not at all and this podcast has been terrifying in the sense that i have recognized so many of my own experiences in it yeah absolutely um and el i don't know what
1: what were your not necessarily about the podcast content itself, but just as I say that, what are your reactions to that?
2: Those questions were definitely in my milieu as um, someone who's been in a lot of abusive church spaces um, <laughs> and been party to uh, abuse both within the church and without. So it has been something as a survivor um, that, and as a church planter, we do think a lot about these things right now as we're figuring out um, navigation, so to speak. And what does it mean to be a healthy leader? And what does that look like? And what kind of things do we want to avoid? So um, it has been, but that doesn't surprise me um, that it is not in the regular milieu of thought of most of the church.
1: Yeah. And I I think a lot of that is the context and time and history in which so many of us experience planting churches or getting involved in ministry. I there's something unbelievably challenging and also unbelievably beautiful in the um, cultural consciousness, the awareness, at least in part, that um, we get to plant churches in now today. So I can't imagine uh, the way that you have the conversations in which, in ways that there wasn't, we weren't even getting close to having those conversations in 2005 when I graduated Bible college. There's no way. We were hot to trot on church growth. So, right. um, man. So, okay. So here's what I want to do. I I have some notes. Here's what I'm thinking. I'm, I'm, I'm going to read some of the notes. I'm going to kind of pose some questions and ask some commentary. You can interrupt me. And then, but at the end of every episode and those thoughts and those questions, I was thinking, I'll just give you space to be like, okay, now here is something else to think about. I found your, like you were offering a counterweight to the conversation that I went, oh. Oh, that's really good. Maybe more on some episodes than others. I'm sure there are probably some episodes here like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But when you have some thoughts, toss them our way. How does that sound?
2: Fee, I will feel free to do so.
1: <laughs> Excellent. All right. Episode one titled Who Killed Mars Hill? Um, theme of the episode, Cosper um, kind of just spent time telling the story of Mars Hill Mark's, Mark Driscoll's resignation, but ask some larger questions. And again, I'm going to try to always pull back from the details of the story. You can listen to the podcast, do, knock yourself out. But he asked these larger questions about who is responsible. It was kind of the launching point of questions he's going to ask kind of throughout the podcast journey, but who is responsible for what unfolded and the destructive setting um, that the story takes place in. Here's some of the questions I had. Um, some of them directly from him, and just some questions that came up in my mind. Here's a question that came directly from Cosper: Not why did he do it, referring to Mark. Not why did they do it, referring to church and church leadership. But why do we do it? Like there is, there is some, there is some kind of culture that we are part of. I don't, I don't know, I don't know how much I want to use the word responsibility. Like who's responsible for what? But there's. There's something that we all feed, um, that a, a culture that we help create that makes this kind of leadership, these kind of models, this kind of pursuit successful, the go-to. There's something that we are a part of that I, I thought that reflective question was super helpful.
2: Yeah, it's right in the, uh, in the theme song at the beginning, right? There's a quote of, why do we prefer narcissists? to lead the church. Yeah. Um, and I think it is partially our culture. I think there's good time that we should spend in that, but also I think it's human nature, right? It goes back to King Shaul, like Saul, right? (laughs) Is who did they want? They won the donkey herder who was tall and charismatic. Um, so it's part of who we are is we don't look to the David, to the Davids. We, we love Shauls. Yeah. So I think that's important to sit in and try to figure out how we're going to mitigate that instinct for empire.
1: Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that you bring that up and you bring it back to the the text there. Uh, for me, this is I'm much less interested in in fault and just reflection of goodness, how much of this resides in my own heart.
2: right. Um, the true crime genre of the church is not is not great, which is what I was worried about before I actually listened to it. And that first episode is title is a little clickbaity, right? Who killed Mars Hill makes you feel like that, but just as true crime is detrimental to the people who are experiencing the crime, um, right. it's not a great feeling. Um, same same in this particular area, but yeah, I didn't have that experience either. I didn't think Casper was you know getting the juicy details that's not my my perspective but
1: and i love some of the critique that's out there about that i think it's it's good like somebody it's important. you need to be having those voices too holding the other voices holding people accountable holding the voices accountable holding accountable like it's all part of the conversation that we get to facilitate in this world we live in uh, a couple of follow-up conversations uh, questions i had kind of related to that so not So thinking about our own part, what is our relationship? So I'll just ask this and let this sit for just a moment. What is our relationship to big charismatic personality? Like if you just sit and reflect on you have a pastor of a church, you got a small church, a big church, whatever, and you got that pastor's kind of soft spoken. You don't really prefer his preaching. Like what what is it we need to reflect on about a relationship to biz to big charismatic personality? What is that and that's not to demonize all of it I'm just saying we need to reflect on these things what is our relationship with big vision clearly articulated flashy acronyms I'm so guilty of this by the way oh my goodness that's why this thing is so convicting um cuz I love to gravitate towards these things and leverage them as a leader um How does this relate to the world? And and so we're in the middle of the spiritual abuse series. So at the end of every one of these episodes, I'm looking at this content going, how does this relate to the world of spiritual abuse? If we have a world that's built on big charismatic personality, big vision, a culture that's kind of like tending this um, toxic soil, well, of course we're making things ripe for abuses, spiritual abuse. Um, any thoughts or kickback as you as you hear episode one l
2: yeah, I think it's really important to remember right all personalities are made in the image of God, and the text has beautiful big visions um right? The whole story is a gorgeous narrative um that's calling us into something beautiful and glorious and amazing, and we don't want to diminish that in any way, but the The potential for abuse, like you just said, when you're calling some people who might be vulnerable and feeling lost to something and saying, hey, I can give you the steps to be part of this big, amazing thing. You just need to do X, Y, Z. That's the exact same way cults get started, right? Um, Just fill out this form. Just give this much money. Just do this and you'll be part of something incredible. So it's a both and thing for me, um, for sure.
1: Right. Yep. All right, Brent, you're just gonna have to butt in at some point if you got something to say. Um, yeah, yeah, well I will. <laughs> <laughs> episode two. We got the boomers, the big sort, uh, really, really big churches was the title of that uh, episode. The theme of that was just the backstory of the mega church movement, talking about Robert Schuler, um, what would become the Crystal Cathedral, just understanding that the rise uh, the rise of Mars Hill. It comes in the middle of, there was a foundation, there was a world, there was a whole church subculture built in front of it that it started building upon. It it didn't exist in a vacuum. And so I wrote down just probably more questions in this episode than anything else. Not that it was my favorite episode, but just like, and again, we're not trying to answer these questions today. These are answers to reflect on. Like if we don't ask these questions and talk about them in our, for, for like, oh, she plants a church or... In our church leadership meetings, if we're pastors or, you know, whatever, when you get those opportunities to be a part of those church conversations, these are questions that we ought to really be considering like, what's at play here? What's going on? What happens when you start franchising church models? (laughs) When you have the church planting conference and seminar, and we all go to like duplicate. The model of this church, of that you know, that Saddleback, that whatever, and you start franchising these church growth models. What's the danger of that? It's not all bad. It's not all, but what is the danger of franchising those things? Um, they talked about origin stories and how they get leveraged for association. Like, I want to associate as a business person. I want to associate as a testosterone filled shock shock jock i want to i want to associate as this kind of i want to rather than this authentic stories how easy is it to take these stories and start to leverage them even stories that are real and honest and true but you start to like package it and leverage it and use it i'm saying most of these things just from my own experience, I know how easy it is for me to do. The, I've seen this stuff at work in my own methods, my own heart, like my own. And I think I've grown and matured enough. I don't do it as much with things like this podcast platform, but my goodness, there are going to be so many things, Brent, that we talk about that are pretty relevant for the bema podcast. Yeah. Uh.
0: Yep, definitely. <laughs> and I I think this episode particularly was helpful to me because Bema has taught me a much greater appreciation for history and context. And so I think this was a really, a really good episode for the, for the whole podcast for the rise and fall of Mars Hill podcast. Sure. Uh, Because it just established so many things that I was not aware of and that give insight into what's going on. Right. Um, There's
1: some notes here. If you're not against us, uh, if you're not for us, if you're not with us, you're against us. Um, Man, I've been a part of a lot of church conversations that are, this is our membership class, this is our team like this is the playbook. if you're not on our team, that's fine, but there are a million other churches you can like this us versus them, this is our family, this is our identity, this is our tribal like what is the danger of building a church identity around you know this is who we are and if you're not on board, then you can't be a part of what we're doing is that new testament gospel um let's see there wasn't a note I have there was this Uh, this was growing in a culture that believed that there was a generational dissonance and an irrelevance to church practice. Uh, That was another thing that was being leveraged like that old boomer generation. Yeah. Yeah. They don't, they don't get it, but we do. And all this energy gets put behind and I'm sure that's not relevant today. Right. What are you thinking? (laughs)
2: Um, I'm thinking that the, there's so much in the church experience when it's led by the boomers and by Gen X that um, is tweetable. It's give it to me f- in five seconds. It's why Quibby died, right? Um, people thinking, oh, these young people, their attention span is so short, um, and so we need to give it give it to them like simple and and. Uh, let them just toss up this shallower idea. And I think Mark tapped into the idea that long form journalism is a thing. Binging is a thing. Hardcore deep dives is something that millennials Mm. can really Mm. get into. Um, And so I think that was really attractive to everyone because it's all of our human nature to really want to understand things. Um, Going back to what you said about, um, the problem, right, not being growth. Is there anything intrinsically wrong with growth? No. Is there something fishy about leveraging your platform and packaging it in a certain way and drawing lines and us and them tribalism? Yes. Um, Again, therapist in me, right, wants to say there is nothing wrong with the way that um, you've been made, Enneagram 3s also, <laughs> right, um, have been made. And some people just think systematically. They think about, um, okay, how can this thing still be sustainable in five years? That is okay. And I don't think that we should just be all holding hands and singing Kumbaya in the church and being like, whatever happens, happens. However, I think the molding vision that shapes whether something is, is fishy or not, is how do you define whether your ministry is successful? Um, And to me, this is the central question that binds all of this together. Is your church successful because it's growing, because it's replicating, because it's multiplying? And you can come up with biblical justifications for that. Or is your church or ministry successful because people are blessed, because the fruit of the Spirit is happening within the congregation and within the leadership? is your ministry successful because people leave, even if they leave your church and never come back, then they're in a better place, they're more flourishing, they have a better relationship with God, right? And so if we can think systematically about those things, how can, if I only get someone for two Sundays, how can I make sure that they're leaving this place looking more like Jesus? I think that is a great way to be systematic and leveraging, right? (laughs) How can I leverage my programs or my sermons or whatever to bless people the most? Or is your success, how can I make sure they come back? And when they come back, they bring five friends with them. That is what I would say is empire and that um, sneaks in all over the place in the church.
1: Which is uh, the perfect segue to the question of how does this content in episode two relate to spiritual abuse? Right. If you are measuring, if those are your metrics, if that's what success is, you're gonna justify all kinds of things. And I don't even just mean like, the ends justify like horrible means. I just mean you're not going to be asking the same set of questions about, as El said, the fruit of the spirit. You're going to be asking questions about numeric attendance. You're going to be asking questions about – and when those questions start driving things, you start to care less and less and less about different expressions of character and integrity, the kind, the kinds of people we are what we're doing and why.
2: Because people are meeting Jesus, Marty. What could be more important than people meeting Jesus, right? That you can, If you put that at the front, everything, nothing matters.
1: And that's going to, yeah, and that's going to come up here, right? In one of these episodes. Um, yes. Might even be the next one. I'm not even sure. So we're going to keep moving. Episode three, uh, you read the Bible, Ringo. Um, that was a title. Um, this episode talked about how just all the activity taking place. It was this episode, but- in all this act- activity, it wasn't all bad. There was also a lot of good taking place in the midst of Mars Hill. I think, L, you could probably speak to this specifically. Mark ju- wasn't just a narcissistic, destructive leader. He could also be a really caring pastor, and a lot of amazing stuff happened through that church, and you hear those stories, and they spent kind of an episode, like, dealing with the tension of uh, of that reality, Um did, did you experience uh, – you said it was a really formative time. I'm assuming that's not all negative formation.
2: <laughs> Correct. Thankfully, praise God. Uh, yeah, someone in the in the episode said it was a place that you could be yourself and be connected. Yeah. Um, And both of those things were deeply true. Like Mark would joke from the pulpit constantly, like someone told our security team to stop smoking and being like, hey, nicotine is their drug of choice. That is an improvement. We are happy about that. Praise God. You know, and so the bar was like, you know, we are all. Churches love to say, the church is a hospital for broken people, Um, but so often it doesn't look that way. It doesn't feel that way. Um, And at Morris Hill, it was definitely a place where you could show up with all your tattoos, if that was you, with all of your problems, with all of your past, and um, you weren't like in the corner away from all these perfectly dressed Instagrammable families. Um, everybody was like that. Everybody was a smattering of, you know, an amalgamation of the body of Christ. And it felt like that. And it felt like there was nothing that you could share that would like, you know, no one would clutch their pearls if you said, Oh, this happened to me or, Oh, I did this. Um, and the connection that is formed in that space when people don't have a front, um, is incredible, deep, authentic connection that we're all searching for. Yeah. Um, and and he modeled that well. Um, he modeled vulnerability well, which probably sounds weird if you think about the later end of his career or his current career. Um, but at that time, he was very self-deprecating and very open. And, um, and it, yeah, it was just a big, messy family in a way that churches aspired to, and I think a lot of churches talk about, but especially... Um, you know, just, it's not the case in a lot of, a lot of communities.
1: So I I think about this in terms of how this relate to the world of spiritual abuse, like the disorientation that happens when you can see and experience abuse on one hand and also see redemptive things, good things on the other hand, and you have this disorienting, like, like it, you're not sure, like, is this good or is this bad? Like, how could this be bad if I'm seeing all this good and, And does that make sense, All Would that put your therapist hat on there? Is that like I'm imagining so many people that struggle with being a victim of abuse. Right. There's all this disorienting and they feel like you can't just project that.
2: No, every woman would leave immediately if all her husband or partner ever did was you know be abusive and physically and all the other ways of course she would run away but you always think oh that was just an off day because these things happened or oh that person just you know skipped the training day on not shaming people (laughs) um for instance right and so you see all these good things wow i was really able to be myself and tell my story and i received all of this um guidance and that was great and yeah someone said something that was kind of off-putting to me and i'm not sure like where that was coming from but all this other stuff was so good. Um so you both saw it happening with people around you but also in your own in your own life and in your own circle like wow i feel so much more connected to god and the text and i understand the gospel for the first time um in all these new exciting ways so who really cares if my community group leader said something weird to me about my marriage or something.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And i feel like the opposite thing was happening in my heart as i listened to this episode because Like I'm, you know, here in 2021 thinking about Mark Driscoll and thinking, okay, he's, he's a bad guy. And then I hear these things and I feel really uncomfortable and really uneasy because I'm like, how, but Mark Driscoll's bad. How could he have done anything like, like, uh, this doesn't make sense. I don't i don't like this, this doesn't feel good i don't want to hear anything more about what he's doing good because he's just bad, and I just this badness to, should devalidate the goodness right correct. you're like, oh that, but the badness undoes all the good, and I just want to have this black and white simple reality, and that's not how it works correct, yep, which is and what we don't realize is like when Brent and I do
1: that from a distance historically or geographically, it's easy to do that, but it actually is really. Um, I don't know if it's damaging. I can't speak for them, but that's not good for the people that are in the middle trying to pull apart the messy nuance, the good and the bad, because they truly have had something. And so when people from a distance just project that and throw stones, and um, it, it it it's really, I imagine, even more disorienting for those people that are like, Oh, but this thing is good, but that thing's abusive, but this thing is... Right. Oh, goodness.
2: Trying to find reality, and that's the case in abusive marriages, too, of um, if a woman who's trying to leave her husband or thinking about leaving her husband um, or partner uh, is speaking to you and you as a clinician or a friend just like say, Oh, well, your husband is crazy. What a, you know, piece of garbage you need to get away immediately. You are no longer a safe person for that woman to go to, because if that was the case that, I mean, that just doesn't line up with her experience. Um, and so being able to hold tension for people and say, um, you're not an idiot. You were there for a reason. There were some good things about that person. And I'm, Able to listen to both without um, trying to destabilize your reality even further.
1: Yeah. Uh, episode four, titled "I Am Jack's Raging Bile Duct." Uh, great title there. Um, building uh, th- this was um, uh, just talk about how Mars Hill, in a lot of ways, in that context, and again, not just Mars Hill, not just Mark Driscoll. So many things um, are built upon the you know, you know, a bent of raging masculinity and how the, t- the testosterone-fueled narrative can just kind of take off and get out of control, the shock jock personality. Um, he, he made a good point in that. Uh, I have notes about – he talked about how we don't want to get lost in the cultural shifts that have happened mm-hmm. since that point in history. Like we've gone through a lot of cultural shifts, a lot of cultural awakening, a lot of cultural – just an, an evolution of, of, of cultural consciousness where things that were considered funny or okay – or they didn't cross a line. Sure. Especially, um, 10 or 15 years ago. Now all of a sudden are way out of bounds, whether it's the way we talk about things like race or gender or any of those things, they (laughs) doesn't mean they were right back then. It just means the cultural consciousness had not moved to the reference point it is today. So he made a good point of like, Hey, remember he talked about Chris rock talking about his comedy. Like Chris rock said, comedy I used to do 10 years ago. I could never do that today. It would be totally wrong. Um, and he said, you got to remember that when you're looking back on history and, and trying to hold these things and think critically and, and judge them. So uh, I thought that was a point well taken. Doesn't And he was clear like he wasn't trying to justify or let anybody mark or anybody else off the hook for those things. But just said, remember that as we're thinking about it.
2: Yeah, just a touch of clarity there. You know, <laughs> certain communities have always not been okay with certain jokes, right? If you're right. talking to someone who's yeah uh women for instance have always not really found um jokes about women's driving or whatever particularly hilarious um and they'll put up with it until more recently but just putting it out there cultural consciousness sometimes refers to the default human uh which in this case you know you're thinking of men realizing oh maybe that's not that funny for some of us it's never been funny just clarifying
1: yeah absolutely um so let's see here what are some notes we got um just and again, I think this is one episode where um I started to realize somebody that I definitely could see I could see these things in me uh ten fifteen years ago in my ministry i can I know that they live somewhere uh they don't they don't stick their head out nearly as much these days as they used to, but they're the shock jock how easy it is to get up even in the last decade uh I can Think of moments where you can get up on stage in a sermon, especially in a more, a larger mega church context, and say those comments that get a reaction. Um, I just those are the notes that I have here. They're more, <laughs> they're more almost personal. And then they had other people that said, when they went there, you would put these things in your own context, you would view them as tongue in cheek. Um, like people would view them as hyperbolic, like, of course, he said that, but we know what he really meant because he's he's saying things that need to be said referring in this case to mark but he's saying things that need to be said and so he's he's doing all these outlandish hyperbolic things that are tongue in cheek one person said in the episode but and so you would reframe these things you would you would retell the story to yourself in ways that fit the larger narrative that you were kind of seeing the experience in.
2: Right. We call that confirmation bias, right? You see what you want to see because it makes sense within the worldview that you've already set up. Um and so if you want to see everything that Mark said is super unacceptable, then you'll listen to the sermons and hear that and vice versa.
1: And so if we think about how this relates to spiritual abuse, uh, and we haven't even gotten to the episode on branding, which is one of my like most convicting episodes that I listened to in the whole series. But so that will come later but even if even the things we've already talked about in the series so far like the us versus them mentality if you're not against you know if you're not for us you're against us like if you're building all of this energy big church energy franchising church growth models and 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 then you're it, it only fosters confirmation bias because everything around you is built to reward <laughs> like telling the right narrative and telling it in the right way you get rewarded internally for doing that. Again, just helpful reflections to think about how this is why it's important to have, to not, and this is more next episode, to not build everything around one singular personality, Mm -hmm. to have a more diverse, a a flatter um, community of people, faith community, organization, whatever it might be. Um, Because the more you do this, the easier it is to leverage everything, to build that confirmation bias, to do all those things just super helpful to think about and reflect on.
2: Right. I also want to take a minute to talk about what was the content of the shock jock <laughs> phrases, right? Because they weren't just, you know, a smattering of weird jokes. It's on something very specific. And this episode, number four, it's kind of setting up episode five. If episode five is about femininity, episode four is more about masculinity and how he defined masculinity and the ways that he interacted with that. Um, And I went to put some nuance in there. So, uh, you know, put your seatbelt on, Brent. Here's some some gray area. Because one of the things that was so compelling to both men and women, he's not just saying, you know, shocking things that make us all go, wow, what a, you know, big, strong, charismatic leader that he's able to say crazy things. The stuff that he was saying was deeply resonant with both men and women. He was calling right he would say men to be men which carries all of these connotations and whatever you believe that means but for mark he meant when he said men you need to be men that traditional values right very complementarianism very authoritarianism um strong and both of those areas but he also mocked constantly the definition of that ideal as being men eating meat drinking beer having their mud flaps I think is the quote that they used in the oh yeah um, right. yep he mocked those along with the you know just drab capitalism of um, people who are just working to get their raise and promotion and everything he said but both of those visions were not what masculinity ought to to be Um, and that was super compelling for men right Um, at that time especially like what mid 2000s you do not have great representation in culture in media for what um godly masculinity can look like um you know movies that are coming out are not giving great antidotes to toxic masculinity all of my favorite movies um are made since then right um and have totally different images of masculinity that's a different episode probably but anyway and so it's called as something greater for men than either of those paradigms um of the man who he also made fun of who doesn't have a job who sits at home playing video games eating pizza pockets but then also this you know very strong um he had deep disdain for abusive and violent men. Um, And so it was a call sideways to women, super attractive to women going to Marcel. If you're not married, you are sure definitely looking for a relationship of a man um, who is not going to, um, you know, want a mom, basically Um, you want to find a godly man. And he has this very harsh, very real talk to men that, I do not know where else was coming from at that time um, of saying, Hey, this is what's acceptable men. This is what's not acceptable. If you were married and you had a spouse who is not partnering you well, um, who, in whatever way that that means to you or to that woman, you want to bring your husband because Mark is going to tell him to get his crap together and to, you know, get a job and get things in line and to stop um, being passive and lazy. Right. So it's, it's, super nuanced because we know about toxic masculinity now we know we it's that's part of our culture is to talk about what does masculinity even mean right and playing with that idea and um trying to find biblical principles but saying "Mm, is that cultural all of that has not entered into the brain space yet and so he was giving a new redeemed idea that was both well that was attractive both for men who one something more than you know, masculinity and Family Guy or The Simpsons or whatever, and um, for women as well who wanted to bring their partners or find a partner at Mars Hill.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I first heard about Mars Hill from some single women in my life who were very enthusiastic about those messages and trying to figure out what they were looking for, and thought that that was a good picture of it. And I even I don't know when this this was probably like two thousand ten or eleven. I um, went on like a pilgrimage of sorts with a few of these friends to the Ballard campus um, just because the, the message really resonated with my friend group at the time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it even plays right into the next episode, which I almost just want like the next episode of things we do to women, which I feel like um, I mean, I've heard so many people say that episode and I get it like it was for me, too. Like nobody's talking about this. Nobody's talking about the way we talk about women and the way that women interact with church culture. So I really appreciated this episode of the podcast like a lot, like it might've been my favorite, but hearing Elle talk about some of these things on a personal level made me go, oh gosh, she's actually, there's actually so many things like in my worldview, my frustrations with things like purity culture and the way that we put all of the onus on women, but we never call men to task for the way that they behave and the way that they think and the way that they f- <laughs> the way that they follow Jesus. And, and yet to hear Elle say that, but that's what Mark was doing. So in the midst of all these other really helpful conversations, there were these other things that are like, okay, but we're not doing these other things. We're not killing it over here in the rest of evangelicalism on the same so I don't know if Elle, you wanted to build on the same comments or if it's all just a part of what you already shared with the last episode but
2: no it definitely builds on that but a, a little bit more in that I do not know and still today 2021 any pastors I've never heard any other sermon in which a male pastor expects that there are abusive men in his congregation. You can consider yourself lucky if you're a woman who is a survivor of violence and there is a tiny shred of bread thrown over to you. Usually when the pastor is talking about forgiveness, he might say, oh, and also you don't need to forgive your abuser. And that's like the most woke, oh my gosh, somebody thought of me. I feel so loved. Here's the thing. If one in four women has experienced sexual abuse, which the CDC says is much higher, guess where all of those men are? They're not just like standing on the side of an alley somewhere and women are walking by and they're, you know, attacked. they are men that they know. That's what the statistics tell us. It's men in their communities. And that means it's men in their churches. And I've never heard anyone but Mark say, I know that there are abusive men here and y'all need to repent and stop it right now. Um, And the whole how dare you thing that's been memed in videos and my favorite favorite one of those videos is a Taylor Swift, Mark Driscoll uh, remix, which is fantastic. You should find it on YouTube. Maybe, uh, maybe I'm
0: going to look that right up. Thank you.
2: It is excellent. <laughs> but the, it's in the theme song too, right? The, how dare you? Um, who do you think you are? The context of that is talking about how dare you abuse a woman? Uh, I will take a moment here to to read verbatim what he says: abusing a woman, neglecting a woman, being a coward, a fool, being like your father Adam. Who do you think you are? You are not God. You are just a man. You are not an impressive man. You are not a responsible man. You are not a noble man. You are not a respectable man. You are not a responsible man in any regard. I do not care how successful you are. If in this area you are a failure, it clouds all of your dignity. It robs all of your masculinity. There is no excuse for any man who claims the name of Christ to treat. any woman in a dishonorable dispe- disrespectful way he goes on to say shame on you if you put communion in your hands and then you go raise your hand to threaten your li- your wife um, and then he finishes out by saying I do love you and I'm furious with you um, I that's super powerful as a as a survivor and as an advocate for survivors this needs to be all over the church. <laughs> This needs to be part of our regular preaching. We need to be aware that violence is happening in church spaces and not think that, you know, that's only happening outside of the church uh, and holding men to accountability and standing up for women and championing them in this way um, is huge, hugely attractive um, for myself as a woman to feel safe going to a church where I know that, um, you know, if I'm dating someone, my boyfriend is going to be, you know, ripped apart uh, by staff um, if I report to them that something is happening and then that he'll be redirected to law enforcement, which is also something that Driscoll um, encouraged women to do. They were often around the campuses anyway. Um, so that's huge so to me everything else that we say about women needs to be put in that in that you know light of yes there were other messages that weren't empowering yes there are other things that are super problematic and lots of people experienced abuse there but also this is one of the reasons that we stayed and please as a church could we catch up to breaking this naivete that it never happens in churches because it happens it does it does it's everywhere okay go ahead
1: uh, i i it, no, it's uh that was exactly like that was the moment that i was kind of building this whole episode like that's the uh, such a helpful reflection for me to consider when we chatted ellen and, and i'm just so thankful you said that because it's the it's not either or I, I think i think that's what Elle's saying it's both and can we can we look at the way that we're doing <laughs> the way that we're treating here's the notes i have from this episode um first note is directly from the podcast notes themselves. Uh what happens when words meant to protect women end up hurting them? Uh what you know how does theology about headship and female submission create a culture of fear and shame? Um asking the question of who benefits from the conversations, who's invited to contribute? Are women asked to recede as one person testimony like her her testimony on the on the episode um or are they invited to engage? Um, the way that we demonize and and we build caricatures of women as sexual temptresses, and we kind of demonize their personhood in the light of sexuality. All of this obviously contributes to sexual abuse, but it's not, I hear Elle saying, and there's this whole other thing that Mark was doing that we, we seem to forget about and neglect. Can we catch up to that? And there's still a whole bunch of nuance about how Mark was doing it and all the things that were still wrong. But there was another part that was like – but there was something here that should be uh, considered. Right. There's something here that that should be – there is maybe something here that needs to – there could be a baby in the bathwater here. And we need to be real careful about that. Right. Did I I state that well?
2: You did. Three, Three separate studies say that the biggest prevention factor to abuse is one, women's ability to recognize risk, and two, that she is part of a supportive family and community. So if your church is never talking about abuse and what it looks like and what grooming looks like and how abusive men get a hold over women, although it's not always men, um, they're not going to You're lining up your sheep, man. And if you have not built a church culture that says, guess what? We stand with women and we have no patience. We have no patience for men who are violent. Um, that's the being part of a supportive family and community part. Um, and again, just for a stat for what I was saying earlier, um, the Department of Justice, the U.S. Department of Justice says that 83% of the time sexual assault takes place um, committed by a friend, an ex, or a current partner. So if your community is the church, it's still happening inside the church.
1: Well said. Appropriately said. Um,
2: and now we can go on and talk about the other things because they still are problematic.
1: Well, we can. And, and we'll just fly through the rest of these episodes here because that was that was the moment that was important for me to get to. Um, here's some episodes. We'll, we'll do this a lot less thoroughly for the sake of brevity and time here. The brand, what a huge episode for me. Cause it's such a temptation. I don't know why it just is for me to build a brand, to build a platform. I love Bema. I love the Bema podcast and what it's becoming. <laughs> and you, I mean that, that episode, I remember that one being especially gut wrenching. Um, just because I think the story at the end, uh, talking about when they were in Turkey and, what are we even supposed to be talking about today? And as he reads the letter to Ephesus, I think it closed with the the guy turning to the other one and saying, Oh, he's talking about us. Like uh, the dangers of getting swept up in, um, the brand and, and allowing that brand to make you, uh, it just, it just attacks like a virus or a cancer, your humility and the things we're called to do and be your character, your integrity. It can. Um, and, uh, and 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 we're gonna to have to do things to put the, part of the reason why we expanded the Baymont teaching team there needs to be more voices at this table. This needs to not be built around just Marty or just Marty and Brent um we, we do this with uh, impact we're trying to make the organization as flat as we can on every level widening it out brought like because these are the things that we have to put in place. We have to be having these conversations we have to hold ourselves accountable to what matters, what has value, what's the metric. Uh, any thoughts you had about the brand?
2: Yeah, I mean, if your brand is one person, we are all sinners and that one person is going to have a flaw, whether that flaw is large or small. Um, And so when we flatten, when we broaden out, when we say, hey, this is the pastor who we love and care about and want to support in all these ways. Um, But also, this is not who the church is. Um, And also, yes, your leader might have authority, but guess what? Y'all have the Holy Spirit too. Um, And (laughs) the end before Jesus ascends, he says the Holy Spirit is coming to clothe you in power, right? So an imagining of the church as a bunch of sheep, right, It's, it's biblical in some metaphors but also can be detrimental when we imagine just one person the big shepherd who is walking under the the head pastor uh mark always said was jesus um and he was just the teaching pastor which was both avoiding responsibility um you know and just spiritualizing it but yeah so there's safety in not putting everybody around marty you can you know not everybody's criticizing you anymore now you have emails criticizing me isn't that refreshing
1: very very
2: what a wondrous day that is
1: yeah no i i love that and um so Elle, one of the things that I love about the way that you're like there there's there's my reflections and then you're offering uh, like counter thoughts is uh, especially when you have your therapist hat on mm-hmm. I'm hearing this as somebody who is well aware that I I've had all kinds of privilege the system is built to work for me I have narcissistic tendencies I have struggled with that I have tried I mean that's been a thing that I've surrounded myself with great mentors and good counselors and uh, I am I am aware of that. So I hear this stuff through the lens of critique and I see all of these dangers in me and I want to get rid of them. And I love that you're here because what you're doing is you're <laughs> reminding us that not everybody uh, struggles with the same things I struggle with. They don't have the same experiences and the same privileges that I have. And so they need to not hear this through the same kind of like really critical, appropriately critical, they need to not hear the condemnation of this. There's a real danger in overplaying that as well, and I, I appreciate that because I need to hear some of this, like deeply. There, there are people, there are pastors and leaders that listen to this podcast. We need to consider this, like we need to hear this, legit. And then there are other folks that, like, the last thing they need is one, one more condemning voice saying, "Don't think about yourself. Don't, don't create a brand. Don't." You know what I mean? And I appreciate that also. I I, I thank you for that.
2: Excellent. Yeah, there's nuance there for sure. But, uh, you know, all of us can meditate on humility. I don't want to cut out part of the body of grace and being like, you guys don't need to think about humility. Right. We can all think about humility. Some of us just um, tend one direction more than the other. um, And that's okay. And there's room for growth. um, But we do want to set up good support systems for like, oh like you're just saying.
1: Absolutely. Uh the next episode is called State of Emergency, like if we're going to talk about spiritual abuse, like one of the like mo- one of the most blatant places where it shows up is where you do suspend those rules. Like there are safe safe there there are guardrails. There's uh you know, there are safety points. There's accountability in place. But these abusive systems will often find a place to call this state of emergency where you can suspend those you can set those aside because, you know, the kingdom needs it. The moment demands that we disregard those for now and 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 the danger of that I and mean, that should probably be uh, relatively obvious for us any thoughts on that
2: Yeah quick thing um the context of that was he was talking about church governance and the firing of these two elders who were just doing their job. So two ways we can measure the integrity of a church, right? First, how are you treating the alien, the orphan, the widow, the marginalized, the non tithers, the vulnerable victims, right? That should be straightforward. James talks about that. Stop seating the people tithing the most in the front. But the second thing is how do you handle those emergencies? What is happening in the wings of the theater of your church, right? The theater stage is the service and everything's that's going on. Um, um, but what's happening in the wings what's happening just off stage how are you talking to your volunteers what kind of how do you handle when there's this kind of snafu in leadership i think they were looking at it wasn't their policies and procedures it was their bylaws what happens like how do you handle that um and i think we tend to skim over what's happening in the wings because we're focusing on what's on the stage um but again how do we define success if success is the fruits of the spirit that counts, not just for who's sitting in the congregation, but how are, um, how is our ministry staff being treated? How are we talking about them when they're not in the room? Um, how are we handling drama? Right. Um, that's just as important when talking about the the fruits of the spirit. So just shining a light on that for a moment.
1: Yeah, no, it's, no, it's excellent. Excellent. I absolutely so good. So good. Uh, there was a bonus episode I really liked, and then I think I might kind of sum up the rest of this. Um, But the bonus episode, I Kissed Christianity Goodbye, I'm not not sure I was in love with the way they dealt with Joshua Harris and his deconstruction. I'm kind of setting that aside. The part that I found that fit the rest of what we had been listening to in the podcast that I found in myself. So I share this because I find it in myself. Is there are people that for whatever reason, their personality design, their giftedness, I don't know what it is. I don't necessarily understand it. I'm no psychologist or or sociologists or any of those things. But there are these people that seem to have this innate, intuitive awareness of how to take energy and build a platform with it. And there was this reflection on, we did it inside the church. We can now do it outside the church. We can do it in any context we want. We can find ways to take energy. And like I was saying, that's not always bad. I want to be able to take energy and muster it and bring it together for the good of others, for the kingdom agenda, but there's some of us that have this almost subconscious like and we do it for us and we we build it for our voice and our place and our identity and i know that that's something that again i just know that that's something that lives inside of me i think there's uh this intuitive awareness of like that's going to work this isn't that energy is good energy that's going to be a problem avoid that and and underneath it all can be this self-interest
2: tower of Babel.
1: Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. 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 That's that'll preach. Um, anyway, those are to not get into the actual content of that episode. That was the reflection I listened. I can remember actually listening to that episode where I was driving, I was on a road trip and that one stuck with me for two or three days on that road trip. Just thinking about like, Oh gosh, I have to, I have to surround myself with people that know how I'm thinking and why I'm thinking and what I'm thinking about. And, what my reasoning is, and people in my circles and people outside my circles, because if I'm left to my own devices, oh, this could be such a dangerous thing. If you give me all of this, you know, all these listeners and all this followership, and ugh, ugh, I must ugh,
2: come ugh. down," said God, because I see what they can do. They can do anything, right? That's the that's the thing Whew. in the story.
1: That is. I love it. Uh
2: yeah, so episode 9 was talking about questioning the origin story, so going over what parts might have been fabricated about Mark's origin story, but we had kind of already talked about the themes in that of um Sure. of hey, if your whole brand is built on one person um and then it crumbles, you don't have anything left. Um so yep. we talked about that already. Episode 10, demon hunting. I want to put just a little a little bump in the road here that uh, the particular view that Cosper is coming from, he kept saying that humanity longs for something more going on than this plane. I would just like to point out that the Bible says that there's something more going on than just this plane. Uh, and it is fine to be a cessationist and everything, uh, but, you know, I would just challenge us to be aware of where our biases are and that everybody who is charismatic are not just silly geese for thinking that there's something going on. Um, yeah, but I well think, said. Yeah, but I think that the, the church does need to think about deliverance ministry and spiritual warfare and figure out, like, th- he made a very good point. Rife for spiritual abuse when um you have supernatural visions coming into play and all that, but
1: bingo, absolutely, yep,
2: yep. But he brought in um someone from Bridgeway to talk about um other other methods of exorcism, for instance, dismissing demons with a word. I love that he said that. That's how Jesus does things. So if we are coming up with something totally extra biblical, we really need to be careful about how we um. Why we're putting it together that way, Um, because, again, it is a very white Protestant cessationist opinion to never have um, to never have deliverance ministry. And if you go to black church, if you go to Korean church, if you go to Russian church, um, it's often not that. So I just wanted to point out that that was a very particular perspective.
1: Yeah, I think the danger is how it gets wedded to all this other stuff. We've already talked about the brand, the platform, the energy, the franchising. The programmatic, you know, and and that's where, it's, especially when you take something subjective, that can then be manipulated, but it doesn't therefore mean, again, baby in the bathwater, right? like there's still something in here. We got to absolutely, well, well, well said. Excellent. And and then we just had the last couple episodes, which haven't necessarily, they, they feel kind of a little out of place to me, but the Bobby Knight problem, I appreciated another episode on like the ends justifying the means, like.
0: Um yeah. Was, yep. Peek behind the curtain. Uh we are recording this on October fourteenth. So the most recent episode is Red Sky at Morning from October fifth. Yeah. So I think there's one or two maybe more episodes still it yet to comes, come but, so. but that's the yep. point where we're at right now
2: I felt like the Bobby Knight problem had too much basketball and I say that as someone who loves to play basketball Um so but I think it's because Cosper is threading all these new interviews that he now has in and so that's a little bit why things are getting switched around but Red Sky at Morning was convicting to me as a leader because it reminded me if one of my values is rest and health right I you know impacts values include rest and mm-hmm. health Yep, yep. Um, there's sacrifice that takes place in that he was talking about you know you can clearly see with mark he decided he needed to beat rick warren and get fifty thousand members to be able to pray at the inauguration like that's blatantly empire right um like you can't get more empire than that but in order to let quest go he would have had to not just he would have had to let everybody rest um and when everybody rests including yourself as the leader when you can't try to shoulder everything anymore that means that you don't get to do quest so i think we have to as church leaders, ministry leaders, congregants, make sure that we're okay with letting some big goal go, um, for the sake of the fruit of the spirit. Right. Um, and that was challenging for me
0: when I was listening to that episode and hearing them talk about pulling off that quest field thing in six weeks, I just about fell over <laughs> because I've had, yeah, I've had those exact same moments where it's just like, Oh, Hey, we're doing this thing and it's in two weeks. And you know normal people do this in in six months, but we've done it in two weeks, and aren't we amazing uh, hmm. <laughs> right? like that is that has happened to me multiple times in multiple churches. that is just like the culture that I've been a part of for so long right and oh uh, yeah. That, that you have to be willing to say really close to home
2: maybe we won't get as many baptisms and maybe our church won't grow as much and maybe we won't have the leverage we want to have and that's okay because it's not worth abusing our staff it's the that's the sacrifice
0: and volunteers by the way yes
1: yeah and I was just going to say that just continues to overflow. If that's your culture on the in the inner circle, it will always trickle out because that's I mean that's the Jesus talks about cleaning the inside of the cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, not not just cleaning the outside of the cup like what your culture truly is. So just really super well said. So all of this is, you know, again, all of this is a, an opportunity to reflect on I have found this podcast to be helpful. To cause me to ask the question of what culture building am I a part of, knowingly or unknowingly? Now that I know, how can I help adjust the way that I build a culture that sets others up to be abused and for and the temptations to abuse all kinds of things, let alone people? So I have found that to be super helpful for anybody that's listening today, and they're like, "Are you saying this? Are you say-? no, no, no? We uh, um, we said what we said, and everything else is." I thought this is a great conversation. I don't actually have a ton of resolved. I'm still thinking about these things. I'm still wrestling with this stuff. I this has been helpful to open up my eyes and ask better questions. I don't have a ton of like conclusive thoughts and I'm not you know I don't have a bunch of lessons that I'm pounding the pulpit about out of this stuff. I'm just listening to every episode going Oh, gosh, I think I think I need to learn from that. Oh, gosh, I think I need to learn from that. And then I'm listening to Elle going, oh, goodness, I think I need to learn from all of that. Um, there's even more. Um, so that's all we're sharing today is uh, I I think a big passion I had behind this little mini series we're doing is to simply have a conversation that we're not having. I'm not an expert. I don't want to posture myself as an expert. Bayma is not trying to be to offer the end. Con- we're just trying to offer a beginning to open doors, to crack a window, to 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 have a conversation that's simply not happening enough. That's all. That's all we're trying to do. So um, hopefully that's hopeful. I, I'm hoping for some, it will be life-giving. Uh, I hope it will be maybe the beginning of a journey that you get, like somewhere, somebody else will take you by the hand, somebody with more expertise or even even more appropriate perspective for your context somebody else will take you but maybe you were able to get there because of some of the
0: questions that we were able to ask in this journey so that's what i've been trying to do anything you would add to that l brent i do have kind of like an overarching question and you had a conversation with joshua brown um a little while ago uh maybe i can link that episode in in the show notes but he said something on the episode um He was talking about Eugene Peterson and Eugene Peterson said at some point that he thought um, a pastor can't really um, care for more than 500 people or something. I can't remember exactly what the number was, but then later in life, like almost, almost at the end of his life, he said, um, he actually thinks that's probably more like 50 or 60 people. And so my question is, is it impossible for a large church to have success um in the long term like is every large church doomed to fail doomed to the trappings of fame and power and whatever like is there any hope in all of this or or are we just doing everything wrong and and we need to restructure our entire church life
1: I, I would certainly say there's all kinds of there's all kinds of ways to structure this conversation and nuances. Uh, I would there's no way that I'm going to say we're beyond hope or that it can't be done well. Part of what we have to wrestle with is what it means to lead, how we view church as organization, how we how we view church as business and business structure, how we utilize hierarchy. What is what is the call of a pastor? I think one of Eugene Peterson's points that um he was trying to make is that the call to pastor is not the call to be a leader of a massive organization. That's not the same thing. And it doesn't mean that we can't have big churches or larger organizations or those kind of things, but we have to remember that the call to pastor is something unbelievably unique. So one of the things that I've been saying for quite some time um, in the last year, year and a half, is what I mean by quite some time, um, is I feel like we have a lot of leaders that, excuse me, we have a lot of people in leadership positions who are managers not leaders. They know how to manage. They know how to run an organization. They know how to get things done. They know how to make goals and achieve them. But we don't have leaders. We don't have people that have the discernment of how to build people up and to call out of them everything that God has put in them, the potential that God has. And that's leadership. That's the difference between management and leadership. And somebody critiqued that the other day and said, actually, I think the church has been talking about leaders. Rather than pastors, mm-hmm. and so maybe that's the maybe that's even the next step. What's the difference between somebody who just has the wisdom and the intuition and the ability to help take a group of people somewhere? And have we lost the call to simply shepherd, steward a fellowship of people, to take a flock? And and yeah, I, I, that role probably can't be done by more than <laughs> that. That that is what I think. But there are probably lots of ways to organize ourselves to get that calling done, but we've kind of mushed it all together into like pastoring, leadership, management, CEO model. I think that's where we get ourselves into so much and we need to pull those nuances apart and start having some new conversations about what that, what the relationship is to those. Amen. El, what do you think? Totally
2: agree. 100%.
1: Mm. That's so rare. Hell <laughs> just agreed with me. We have that on We have that on record. On yeah, record. Just
2: press a button whenever your ego needs it. Hell says, "Go. Yeah, there well, we go."
0: <laughs> well, I, I do love. I do love the hope and uh I'm encouraged that you're able to bring it to me at this moment. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah. Um yeah, I was I was reading a thread about um, uh, one of the I don't know if you guys watched Ted Lasso, but I was reading a thread about one of the storylines and how hopeless it seems at this point. And then to see how the person brought it around and found hope in the storyline and how it can possibly play out in future seasons. And I'm like, ugh, yeah, so good. Like if you take that reflection, Brent, and go back through all these episodes we just reflected
1: on in this podcast and ask yourself if our sole concern was pastoring not managing not leading not CEO I think I don't know I I, I think most of these issues um, not that they would go away but they don't they don't grow in the same that's not the soil they grow well in and so those are just my thoughts on that anyway Mm, I love it get us out of here Brent we now have broken whatever whoever owned the longest episodes record I'm pretty sure L Brent and Marty not (laughs) surprise
2: Hey, I take no responsibility for the last ten minutes. <laughs>
0: That's great. I love it. Hey, you know, I just had to. I just had to, you know, drop a big question right at the end.
2: Talk about Ted Lasso. There
0: you go. Oh. Uh, but the Ted Lasso thing was like ten seconds. But we could spend more time on that if you want. <laughs> anyway. Uh, if you want to get a hold of Marty, you can find him on Twitter at Marty Solomon. I'm at EIBCB. L is, as of recording time, not on the Baymaw Slack, but I don't know, maybe soon, maybe soon. <laughs> um, you can find her email address uh, on the website. So go to BaymawDiscipleship.com. You'll find everything you need. And thanks for joining us on the Baymaw Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon.
2: What if we were carrying Jesus's, you know, requirement that you are spiritually responsible for every person in your congregation and you actually believe that, (laughs) like that would totally transform the way we teach everything, the way we lead everything, the way we deal with volunteers and we just don't, we set it aside. Oh, that's impossible because I have too many people. Okay. Well, hmm.
0: Hmm. Are you still recording, Elle?
2: Sorry, I was
0: distracted. <laughs> that was pretty good. I, was, <laughs> I am still recording, actually.